0: Well, we are going to give our attention to in a direction of Christmas here, um, and we really like to do this to take advantage of it. Really, I mean, the uh, the world has sort of um, set this um, emphasis, I guess you could say, or focus, and just we try to give you the Christian version of it. And um, so, we normally have been in First Peter, and we're we're not going to be in First Peter for the next few weeks. So, to take advantage of this. So, so this morning, uh, um, we're in Galatians. So, if, if, uh, you're wondering, that's kind of the turn. That's kind of where, how we got there. So, now, one of the best movements by the church historically has been to respond to the world's version of Christmas. And I say it that way on purpose, trying to make a very, uh, factual, historical statement in in saying that. We don't really know when Jesus was born, believe it or not. And so when somebody says, when was Jesus born? The answer isn't December 25th. Okay? But historically, the world celebrates the light when it goes from fall season to winter season It did that historically over 2,000 years ago, predating even the coming of Christ. And the reason why is because it is the darkest time of the year. In other words, the world has always been looking for hope, and especially at this time of the year. When things are at its darkest, when things can be at its coldest, when things can be have a a bit of the, um, I guess, shade of lifelessness. And so the church said that Jesus is the real light. He's the true hope for the darkest time of the year and said we have a reason for being excited in the darkest time of the year. And so they put Jesus' birthday right at that time, December 25th. And then they called it Advent season. Advent simply means, it's a Latin word that simply means the coming to. Vente is to come. And you put the word ad in front of it, it's, it's to, to, towards something. To, the coming to. And so there's a first Advent and a second Advent. And the first coming of Jesus is his birth. The second coming of Jesus, he says he's, he's gonna tell us. It's TBD. Okay? Not by I mean, I say it's TBD. The Lord already already knows, he just not told us, so all right. But I tell you what, if we learn anything about his first coming, it is that we should believe that when God gives us details about it, it's gonna happen exactly as he said. So that's a clue, I guess you could say that way. Now there are so many things that we could focus on with Jesus' first coming. We could talk about the virgin birth. That would be wonderful. We could talk about the nativity scene that God ordained. Not the one that's out there commercially being sold, but the one that God ordained and, and how he ordained it. We could talk about the humility being born in a stable Glory and majesty of Christmas with the angels. We could talk about the wise men coming to give Jesus gifts. We we could talk about Mary's role. We could talk about Joseph's role. All of those have been messages that have been preached by many, many, many people. But what I'd like to give some attention to this year is the timing of it. The timing of Jesus' birth. I'd like to show you that Christmas came to us right on time. And that's crucial. It tells us something about God. It it, it tells us something about ourselves. It tells us something about what the Lord is still doing today. So, if you're not there, I've already given you a clue, a hint that we're going to be there. Turn to Galatians and turn to chapter 4. Just two verses that we'll cover over two weeks. Look at verse 4. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that He might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons, I got to hear a wonderful message by Martin D. Martin Lloyd-Jones on this very passage this last week. And he definitely tied it to, it was a Christmas message for him and and that's encouraging. I, I haven't heard a lot of Christmas messages on Galatians 4, 4 and 5. And it was so encouraging hearing him connect it to this very time. This is the voice of the Lord. So let's give attention to him. Now studying the coming of Jesus Christ, it is a most fascinating thing. It is one of the most incredible studies that you can do on Christ, that you can do on God, on our salvation, on angels, on prophecy. It all kind of comes together in one package, so that if you're going to study the coming of Christ, you're going to actually study in so many different directions to do that. But what I'd like to get your attention fixed on is God's sovereign timetable. Throughout the years, there have been some profound statements made about Jesus about his coming to this earth. Athanasius, a man who spoke in the 4th century, you always have to think about that, don't you, you say 4th century, you got 300s, okay? You always say, right, you go backwards, right? I mean, let's forget, do I go forward or backward on that deal? 4th century means 300s. But Athanasius, he said this, Christ became, what we are, that he might make us what he is. Think about it. That's a profound statement, isn't it? Christ became, excuse me. Yeah, Christ became what we are, that he might make us what he is. Augustine, he said, filling the world, he lies in a manger. Think about it. That's incredible. You say, Colossians 1 tells us that he holds all things together. Um, Okay, when he was in the manger, did he stop holding all things together? Hey, got to take a break. I got to be baby here for, you know, this deal here. Nope. Still did it. C.S. Lewis God became man to turn creatures into sons, not simply to produce better men of the old kind, but to produce a new kind of man. Ooh. I like that. Let me put it to you in a different way, what C.S. Lewis was saying. He didn't come to put a plus to our F, okay? He didn't, he didn't come to make you into, you know, 2.0, 2.0, okay. That's not the gospel. Jan Hus, that's how you would pronounce that. There, he said this: "Rejoice that the immortal God is born, that mortal men may live in eternity." That's profound, isn't it? And then finally, B.B. Warfield. The glory of the incarnation is that it presents to our adoring gaze not a humanized God or a deified man, but a true God-man. One who is all that God is and at the same time all that man is. One on whose almighty arm we can rest and to whose sympathy we can appeal, end quote. Now, I give you all those quotes so that you understand the profundity of Jesus coming to this earth, but I also do it because I want you to understand, but even though all those guys said what they said, nobody says it more profound than Paul here in Galatians 4, 4, and 5. This is a Christmas message. It says here, God sent forth his son. But notice the key thought. When the fullness of time came. Timing is everything. Solomon, you remember what he said in Ecclesiastes 3, right? He spoke about time. There's a time for everything he said. Saying the right thing at the right time. Doing the right thing at the right time. That phrase fullness of time tells us that God had a sovereign divine plan. A plan that had to do with Jesus coming to this earth. Listen. Not just the fact of it. The purpose of it. What it accomplished. What man would benefit by it. Now think about it. Why would the coming of Jesus. The coming of God. Why would the coming of God benefit man. If holy God. Came to depraved broken man. Why would that be you know, a good thing. Why would that be beneficial for us? If holy God who has holy law comes to to depraved broken man who has broken his law, personally broken his law, why would that be good, right? If you have done something bad and you know you're in trouble and you've just gotten the news, dad's coming home, That is not good news, is it? I mean, that should frighten us, not benefit us. I mean, if the only way it would benefit us is if he's coming to save us. Listen, if he is no savior, then Christmas is actually Halloween, isn't it? It's a nightmare, not a dream. He came down to speak and to show and to live the life that we could not live and to give us what we couldn't get for ourselves. That's the amazing truth of the gospel. It's why we preach it. It's why we sing about it. It's why we get excited. You know, I don't know about you. A lot of people put up their Christmas trees for different reasons. We just put ours up just because it just keeps reminding us of stuff like that. You know, you got lights. Oh, man, think about the light of the world, right? You got little ornaments and everything, and they're, they they kind of make you maybe remember, of maybe reflect on yeah. I'll just remember when this person gave me this ornament or whatever. I'll take anything I can that didn't turn it around and direct it to Christ, right? Because it reminds us that He came to give us and do something that we couldn't do for our, for ourselves. But it only only if in His coming. He came as a loving and merciful and gracious Savior. That's it. Otherwise, the shepherds had good reason for falling on their face when the angels appeared. Peter had good reason to say, depart from me. You don't want to be around me. Now, so much for you to see. We're going to have to break this into two messages. Why is this timing important? What does the timing of Jesus' coming teach us? Four crucial time factors on the importance of Jesus' coming. Number one, let's let's call this point, Jesus' coming was arranged. His coming was arranged. Verse four, first part. Now, let's remind ourselves a little bit of Galatians. Hey, we're in Galatians in our flock study. How about that? Um, didn't plan it that way. Just kind of worked out that way. Galatians was written by Paul. You remember that? Because they were getting the gospel wrong. We need to remind ourselves of that. I mean, they were, you remember they were trying to change the gospel. Some group of people that were changing the gospel. They came and they, they tried to convince the, the, these Galatian uh, Christians that, hey, it's, There's gospel 2.0 and you need to kind of take that. You know, beloved, we're in danger of doing the same thing in America. America's church wants a gospel that is easy and soft. A gospel that is low-level commitment. A gospel of convenience. One that works with your schedule and your passions and your goals in life. Not one that asks you to change your goals. Or to redo the direction of your life. I mean, not just redo it, trash it. Trash it. I'm gonna give you a new direction. No, we are living at a time where America has given us a gospel not only of low-level commitment, but a gospel of convenience. A gospel that frankly has nothing to do with being born again. In America's, with America's gospel, you don't have to be born again. You don't need it. You can be if you want to be fanatical, but they're okay with you not being any of that. You don't have to be regenerate it's a gospel where life transformation is unnecessary but that's not the, that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ that's not the gospel of the bible christmas is the message that jesus came we can talk about why he came, and we will. We could talk about the way that Jesus came. You know, picturing being a picture of the gospel, and, and we could talk a little bit about that. But when he came was a statement of the gospel too. This is what I want to show you. That's Paul's focus here, in verse. So look at what it says here. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son. He's dealing with when. That's a time word, right? What was God's timing based on Jesus coming to this earth? Why is that an important thing? Notice, he says fullness of the time. Definite article. Fullness of the time. Not a random time. It was a divine planned time, the time, an appointed time. There was an arrangement for this coming, and we need to talk about that. Arranged means that it had craft. It had thought to it, right? It had reason. I mean, you know, what was God up to? What's he doing here? How was it arranged? It says Jesus came at just the right time. Now what made it the right time? The fullness of time. Like an hourglass, you know, that is waiting for all the sands to just get filled up to that bottom deal. Just, Just the right time. For all the sands to fill it in order for it to turn. What made this time get all filled up to just the right time? I'm going to give you a few thoughts here. Let's start with this first one. First of all, it was the right time because of proclamation. Because of proclamation. Now, you really have got to get this one. This one's so good, I... I, got to tell you, I've got to be honest. I'm just giving you the serious short version on this one here um, because I, love, I loved it so much. But um, So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to be good. Here we go. Jesus came to this earth when he, when he did because of proclamation. Now you say, whose proclamation? I'm going to tell you about it in a moment and it might surprise you. You could say, if you want to maybe use a different word than proclamation, you could say decree. That'll help give you more of a clue as to where we're going. Jesus came to this earth at just the right time because of decree, a proclamation. People make proclamations all the time. Kings make proclamations. Governments make proclamations. Presidents make proclamations. You got people making proclamations. Schools making proclam- proclamations. This, hear this, hear ye, hear ye, right? This is going to happen. This is the statement. This is going to happen. And when those authorities make their proclamations, they're, they're, it comes with weight, right? And that's what we have here now. A decree is a formal in authoritative order. It is one having the force of law. It's a, you could say this about a decree. A a decree is a decision that something is to happen. You know, in the olden days, you'd break out the scroll, right? It says this was written. It's been written, let it be done, and all that kind of stuff. When did this decree then take place? When we talk about the decrees of God, we are talking about something decided in eternity by the triune God. We're talking about eavesdropping on a discussion that frankly, we had no business being there, right? We weren't invited. Something decided in eternity by the triangle. i turn for a moment to Titus 1 and you can see this. Now the decree of God set the time set the time a precise time when Jesus would come get it out of your heads that it was random get it out of your heads that it was kind of coincidental that anything about it was coincidental the decree said this is a plan that has definitions that has uh, precision. Uh, God didn't say, He didn't just say, you know, I'll create and, you know, see where this thing goes. You know, we'll, uh, I'll keep my eye on it. You know, oh, look at the sin. Looks like we need a plan B. It uh, we, we, looks like we're going to need a Savior. It's not at all what took place it's not at all what happened let me show you this Titus chapter 1 verse 1 Paul go on for the faith of those chosen of God he's writing this to a people and he says I'm Paul and I'm writing to you for the faith of those chosen of God those, that's my audience that's who I'm writing to I'm writing to Christians I'm writing to those for the faith of those chosen of God. All right, th- listen, why is that important? Because he is writing to a particular people, group of, of Christians there the, on the island of Crete, but it's more than just them. It's for any person who is has, is, has been chosen of God, who, the faith of those chosen of God. God chose people that in the future would have faith that would believe in Jesus Christ for salvation. Okay, verse 2. In the hope of eternal life, there's the salvation. And here it's called eternal life. Which God, who cannot lie, and I'll stop there. Why say that? You say, why? haven't we always, isn't that just a basic belief? We all believe God cannot lie, right? Why do you have to tell us that he cannot lie? I'll tell you why. Because what he's going to tell you is really hard to believe. Because he knows that once he... He's the one that brought up election. He brought up God chose. He knows, oh, brought it up the election. Now you're going to have a hard time believing this. I have to tell you that God cannot lie. Because you're going to sit there and say, wait a minute, let's have a discussion about free will. Wait a minute, but God cannot lie. He says what he says. Lie about what? Why would God lie? Lie about what? What's a lie, by the way? A lie is telling you something that is true when it isn't, right? All right, what's the subject then? Those chosen. For eternal life. People chosen for a future salvation. Paul says God chose to give certain ones salvation and that is no lie. It will happen just like he said. No lie. Now who did God tell this to you? He made a promise. Why do you Who did he tell this to? Who would he be in danger of lying to? Not you. You weren't there before, you know, right? At this time. So he's not talking to you. So we have to ask ourselves, when did he make this proclamation? Verse 2, God who cannot lie, promised long ages ago. And that phrase, promised long ages ago, literally translated is... Before time's eternal. You can translate it that way. Before time's eternal. That's the literal rendering. Let me say it this way. Before time was a thing. That's crazy, right? Do you understand that? We are getting privy information before time even began. We're talking about a conversation that happened before time began. a long time ago. Promise in eternity. I mean, we, we have no time instruments to measure what time was like before there was time, right? We don't know what that is. That sounds like sci-fi, right? But that's what we're talking about. Now, here we go. Let's work it out. Now, when, when you make a promise, you are making it to someone. So we ask the question, who did God make this promise to? Well, you have, uh, we know it's God the Father, so you have two options, and you and I are, are, are none of them, right? He could have made this promise to the Son, he could have made this promise to the Spirit, but he didn't make it to you, and he didn't make it to me. first member of the Trinity made a promise in the context of the second and third member of the Trinity. And so we can say that God the Father made this promise to God the Son and God the Spirit. See what was the promise? A decree that he would create people And that those people would sin and that he would then choose to save some because you only give eternal life to those that need eternal life. You only give salvation to those that need salvation. Therefore, the decree must have been that there would be people that needed that salvation. Who are those kinds of people? Sinners. Sinners. So here we go. A decree that he would create people. A, a decree that those people would sin. A decree that he would then choose to save some and that he would grant them faith. You say, how do you know he's going to grant them faith? Because isn't that what he started up? For the faith of those chosen of God. And listen. And he would give them eternal life. Now watch this. When would he do that? Look at verse 3. Titus one, three but at the proper time manifested. Even his word, that's the preaching, that's the gospel. In the proclamation with which I was entrusted, according to the commandment of, what's it say next? God our Savior. I mean, who's that? Verse 4, Christ Jesus our Savior. Now that's the arrangement. See it? It's all arranged. There would be eternal life that would need to be given to people. It would happen at just the right time. And it would come about by God, our Savior, who is Christ, our Savior. I told you there's a lot here and that we won't nearly have enough time to tell you really all that's happening here. But it's this is incredible. And all of this should blow the, this should blow the circuits. We should all be left a little bit like, oh man, oh man. Um, I don't know. <laughs> There's not enough room here to really fully get the stuff. I mean, we don't have many places in the Bible where we get to hear or see what it was like before God created everything. But here we have just that, and at the right time, at just the right time, that eternal life was manifested. The one that was promised before times eternal appeared, appeared, and he loves this word "appeared," kind of to appear out of out of nowhere. Titus three four. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, you see, he says, you know, it's a plan. And then it just appeared. It happened. When did God make this decree, this proclamation? Before time's eternal. And by the way, it says that also in Romans 1. Turn to Romans 1 for just a moment. Verse 1, again, Paul, and he says he's set apart for the gospel of God. Verse 2, which God promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Beforehand, when is that? When did God make a promise? Before time's eternal. And so what we have here is he created the message before times eternal, this gospel of God, He created it. Then He promised it. Listen to this. And then He gave it to men. And He said, Go and tell others, it is coming. And now it is here. So before times eternal, and then he got that message out through the prophets. Now what are prophets? Prophets are human messengers sent by God with messages from him about his plan for eternal life. Now, not, not the same as sent by, when he sent Jesus. Jesus was sent from heaven to earth. Prophets were already on the earth. These are people already on the earth. And so he said, hey, I'm giving you my message, go tell people. So Jesus is coming to Bethlehem to be born, to be our eternal life. It was arranged. When the fullness of time came, it it, it came because it was arranged. It was the right time because of proclamation, because of the decree that he made before time's eternal. All right, secondly, this is your second thought about this first point. It was the right time because of prophecy. Because of prophecy. Romans 1 says he promised through his prophets. Now when did he do this? Let me give you a few of of these. don't have time to give give you them all, but I'm just going to give you some. Now listen. This message wasn't tucked away, hidden in some secret code, and I love that. I mean, he was just out with it in the Old Testament for over 2,000 years. He could even say really was closer to 4000 years and I'll show you turn to Genesis 49 I'm giving your fingers a little workout this morning Now this is Jacob giving some last words to his sons and you you remember he had 12 of them okay that guy was busy all right 12 sons and uh and he gets to the, you know, towards the end of his life, and that was going to give blessings, okay. And this one's to Judah, and it is a prophecy, verse ten: the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. There's going to be a king in your in your lineage, okay. That's your future, but then this. Until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. And what that means is the end of the succession of kings for Judah will be when Shiloh comes. You say, oh, good, well, who's Shiloh? Right? Well, Shiloh was literally, was, was a word that all the Jews understood to be Old Testament reference to Messiah. So a king from Judah who will be the Messiah that is coming. And what you have here then is that's a timestamp stamp for us. When Shiloh comes, there's going to be a kingship that happens and it's going to happen when Shiloh comes. Now he goes through a lot of different names throughout the Old Testament and Deuteronomy 17, he's called the prophet. Who's that? Shiloh. In Daniel chapter 9, he just calls him Messiah. Who's that? Shiloh. 2000, this is a prophecy over 2,000 years before it happened. It's incredible. Turn to Isaiah 7, verse 14. We, we read this er, er, earlier. Jake read this. Verse 14, King Ahaz was given a sign from the Lord to let him know that God will bring the victory. And here's what he got. He said, All right. And by the way, he's he, remember he, he said to Ahaz, hey, ask for a sign. It said, oh, I can't do that, Ahaz said. And so the Lord said, I'm going to give you one anyway. By the way, I don't understand when the Lord tells us to do something and we say, I can't. I, say, I, just, I just think to myself, well, wait a minute. I think the best response would be, I'll try. You know what I mean? I'll at least say, I'll try. Like, all right, I'll, you know, I'm going to dive off the diving board. I don't know if I'm going to make it, but, you know, you're telling me to do this, you know. He says, no. So here's the sign that he got. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son. And by the way, some people say, well, this word for maiden here just, I mean, does it really mean virgin and all that stuff? Well, of course it does. And I'll tell you the reason why you know that. Because you know Matthew, in Matthew chapter 1, he quotes this, and you know how he uses it? To describe Mary as a virgin. That's the end of discussion for me. That's it. All done I've got my answer. That's exactly how Isaiah meant it. Virgin. Virgin. A virgin. Will be with child. And what is meant by this is. She will be with child in a way where she is still a virgin. She's going to bear a son. And she will call his name. Emmanuel. Emmanuel. what's Emmanuel mean? God with us. So there's coming a time when a selected virgin will not only get pregnant with a child while remaining a virgin, but have that child as a virgin and then is going to name that child Emmanuel. That child will be called Emmanuel. And that was a prophecy 700 years before it happened. It's a lot of detail. You read Matthew 1 and that's exactly what happened. Exactly what happened. That time, and I don't know. I don't know if uh, Mary was telling Joseph uh, it's happening. Remember, we've read this. We read. We've tried to understand Isaiah seven fourteen for years, and it's happening. I don't know if that if they had that conversation with each other, but I would like to think that they did. They knew scripture. It was a coming arranged by God with that kind of detail. See, stay in Isaiah. Here's another one, chapter 9, verse 2. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Talking about people in their sin. Talking about people in their oppression. Something special is coming for Israel. Verse 6. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. What kind? Well, his name will be, here's a clue. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Okay, we're going to call him Mighty God. But I thought there's only one true God. That's right. And so when you're calling a mighty God, that's saying something, right? Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Those are names for a wise king, for an eternal king, for a peace-producing royalty. He tells us it's going to be a male. He tells us it's going to be one who is given. Given from whom? Given by God is the implication here. So think about that. All of that stuff has to happen. Given by God. That matches with Isaiah 7.14, virgin, who's now with child. How did the child get in the virgin? Given by God. Oh, okay. What's he going to be about? Bringing peace. What do we need peace for? We're at war with God. We're in our sins. Oh, is that why it's called a time of darkness? The people who walk in darkness? Yes. In fact, he will be recognized at birth. Why why mention the birth, by the way? Why is that important to Isaiah's prophecy to this nation? Something about his very birth that will point to the fact that this is an arranged visit at a specific time. Pay attention to his birth. Listen, that's the reason why in Matthew 2, Herod went nuts. These king makers came, Matthew 2, looking to anoint a king. And Herod's like, well, I'm a ruler. Find out what we know about this. And when they looked into it, they come to find out, oh yeah, Yeah, there's going to be a king. That king's going to come. And that king is going to be born. And that tells us that they didn't expect a king, because of what scripture says, to be just plopped down on the earth, already aged, right? Right? Good Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse and a branch from his roots where will bear fruit the spirit of the lord will rest on him and he will delight in the fear of the lord and you read the rest of it and it's all talking about the coming of the coming messiah okay when will this take place well we'll know, we'll know it at his birth and as soon as you see the shoot spring forth now the shoot comes first, and then the branch, and then the fruit. And he kind of gives us progression here. He gives this picture of fullness here. And so you have virgin birth, and Emmanuel, and darkness will see a great light, and you have a, a child that is a son given, and God who will bring peace, and a righteous branch to spring from the stem of Jesse to reign. Move over to Jeremiah 23. Verse 5. Behold, the days are coming. Oh, if only the Lord could give us prophecy that to let us know, is he really coming? Is there really a Messiah coming? If only there were verses and passages to tell us things like this. Verse 5, behold, the days are coming. That's a time statement. When I will raise up for David a righteous branch, talking about a future Messiah, And he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved. He will be called the Lord, our righteousness. That's probably a reference to the second coming of Christ. Well, listen, it connects to his first coming. Because he can't have a second coming without what? The first coming. And the point is this. The coming of Jesus was arranged. It was planned, the fullness of time, a planned time with all these details in it. We can look at Ezekiel 34 and 37. We we don't have time to do that. David as king, and that's just what the angel Gabriel in Luke 1 told Mary. It's happening right now, Mary. It's all connected. Believe it. May it be done according to your word. You know what she meant by that? She didn't just mean, well, I don't get what you're saying, but thumbs up, you know. That's not what Mary was doing. Mary was saying, listen, may everything that you have said happen as it is connected to the Word of God. How about Micah 5.2? But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one, will go forth. For me to be ruler in Israel. Go forth from me. Alright, so a ruler is going to come from that little town called Bethlehem, just seven miles outside of Jerusalem. Who's going to come? Verse 2. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Whoa, what does that mean? Well, it means he's eternal. He was alive in eternity. So God is going to send an eternal one. Well, how many of those are out there? Well, we like to think lots of them because we watch Marvel, right? I mean, you know, oh yeah, remember they're all, you know, no, nope. no. Or how about Greek mythology? No, no, there's, there's only three. God in three persons, blessed trinity, right? One in essence, God is one, three in persons. Listen to verse three. Therefore he will give them up until the, until the time when she who is in labor has born a child. He's saying there is a specific determined time. It's going to happen. Verse 4, and he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. At that time, he will be great to the ends of the earth. This one will be our peace. Only one child fits that description. Find one who has days that are eternal and that can do all of that stuff and actually bring us Romans 5, 1, peace. And there's your one. You see the arrangement, Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now that happened and it came to fruition when Jesus came into Jerusalem at the beginning of the week when they crucified him. And you remember they met him on the street and laid down palm branches and shouted, Hosanna, and he came on this donkey. And Hosanna means, oh God, save us. But before that donkey, before that donkey time, Jesus was in his mother's womb and she came in on a donkey in an obscure night. All arranged, see. The first donkey in the womb to be born, the second donkey on the road to die for sins. You can also see this in Malachi chapter 3 verse 1, 400 years before Jesus came. Behold, I am going to send my messenger and he will clear the way before me and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming. He's coming. He's coming. trying to let you guys know this before it happens. And then verses 2 to 3 says, he will come like a refiner's fire to purify and clear out. See? And then later in Malachi 4 verses 5 and 6, it refers to Elijah coming to prepare the way. And later Jesus says, this actually was a reference to John the Baptist. You say, what's the point of all of you're saying? Fullness of time. That's the point fullness of time i'm wanting to let you know this is these are not obscure little verses tucked away that we have to decode with some of the great you know scholars of the day that oh if only we could know how to do this it's right here it was the right time because of proclamation before time's eternal it was the right time because of prophecy thirdly it was the right time because of providence Because of providence. What is providence? Providence is when the normal activities of our life and God's will intersect to accomplish God's purposes. Let me say it again. Providence is when the normal activities of our life and God's will intersect to accomplish God's purposes. We can't make it be anything other than what God wants. John Flavel, 1600s guy, he called it a great mystery. In fact, his book that he wrote is called The Mystery of Providence of God's providence. So good. Read it if you, if you have an opportunity at time. Well, sometimes we, we call it coincidences, but they're not. It's providence. We do that all the time. Right? Oh, well, what a coincidence. Oh, man, he really got lucky on that one. Okay, well, you can say that, but the truth is God's providence. Notice first, when Jesus came, it was the right time religiously. And so when you, you know, look at Israel's history and you see that God sent her to Babylon in captivity for 70 years and God, you know, he He judged her for all her idolatry and interestingly enough, when those years were done, she stopped her idolatry. say, so why is that important? Because you'll notice that all that took place there in Israel, when Jesus came, you had the Jews... That were kind of as they were because of their staunch stance against idolatry. So, this is very religious. It opened the door for some of the actions that took place that would bring about the response even to the Savior. and even the response from everything around them. Something else happened, though. That there was no temple in that captivity. And so the Jews, what they did is they, in Babylon, they built what became known as synagogues. And in these synagogues, you had uh the law taught, and it was read. And that's where you had all kinds of things that came about, uh guys like Ezra and others, uh the Mishnah and the Mibrash and the explanations of Torah and so forth. Before we see though all of those negatively, Pharisees, by the way, came as a result of this, understand that from a positive standpoint, these people were all about wanting to know the word, to know what it meant, to, know, to understand what it was all about. And so the places of worship for Jews to go and hear the word of God and spoken and explained was there in the synagogue. And you can really see this with Ezra who established schools of the law and so forth. He, by the way, he, he became known later on as the father of the Pharisees. Now, not in the same way that they were. See, why is that important? Well, when Jesus showed up and began his ministry, where did he go? Two places. John 2, first one, the temple. Remember that? Why? To clear out the idolatrous money changers and purify the worship, just like Malachi 3 said that he would. But second, Luke 4, he went into the synagogue and introduced himself as the Messiah. And you remember they tried to throw him off a clip because of that. And, but from a religious standpoint, without the idolatry and with all the focus on the law and the explaining of the word, it allowed Jesus to go right in there and do that. And so he was born at just the right time religiously. It was also the right time, secondly, the, the right time culturally. In His providence, God allowed for there to be a few things in place. I mean, you had this common language called Koine Greek. So why was that important? Because it allowed for the gospel to get out to the world. The Greek culture connected also with the Roman government and that gave Rome a presence right there in Israel that was needed for Jesus to come and be born and die. How so? Because... This sort of leads right into the next one the right time politically. The, the right time politically. The, uh, this common language, this Koine Greek language, also would allow for proselytes and people to come to Jerusalem in all these festivals and everything and be there at the Passover when Jesus would die for sins, be raised, the Spirit would come, and thousands would repent at the preaching of Peter. Again, it might appear like a coincidence. It's not a coincidence. God was orchestrating all this. It's the right time politically. Luke 2, remember there was a census given by Caesar Augustus that got Joseph and Mary to go to Bethlehem to register just the right time. Rome also had the right of execution, and the form of execution was crucifixion, and Israel lived under all of that at just the right time for the Messiah to come. Politically, you also had the Pax Romana, the time of peace that gave Israel economic and political stability all the Herods were there, and you had Pilate being there because of all of that, and all of them played a role in Jesus coming and dying for our sins. See, how did God know that all of this, what a lucky deal there where he just configured. oh, i just, we'll just have Jesus come right there, look at it. Listen, he arranged all now, go back to Galatians 4.4 as we bring this thing together. All those things allowed for the spread of the gospel and all played a part in Jesus being born at just the right time. Galatians 4 4, but when the fullness of time came, when God caused every single grain of sand to fall through, God sent forth His Son. All had to be in place for that to happen, see. Now, with something that has so much arrangement to it, I mean, this must be an important message. This must be an important event, something that we need. And so the first crucial time factor on the importance of Jesus' coming, his coming was arranged. Let me, let me show you the second one here as we come to a close here. Point number two, and I'll just mention it and we'll have to really get to it next week. Jesus' coming was accepted. Oh man, I've got to show you this one. All right. He was accepted. The word sent forth, is ex apostello, and it literally means to be sent out from one location and jettisoned into another. To take out from one, to place into another, almost in great force, to to reach into something deeply and take out and send it into another. And that's a great picture because we should never forget Jesus came from heaven to earth. Absolute perfect fellowship with the Father in heaven to be with us. I mean, no offense, but compared to God and His glory and presence, you're nothing special and I'm worse, okay? And He He came here. Philippians 2, Jesus emptied Himself. He set aside those privileges. He laid those aside. Look at Galatians 4.4. 4. God sent forth His Spirit excuse me, he sent forth his son, born of a woman. And that speaks of the humanity of Jesus. And this should rock our minds that eternity put on humanity. Romans 8, 3 is sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. You say, why is this point called Jesus' coming was accepted? Well, someone had to have this promise made to whom did the Father make the the Titus 1-2 promise to you? Before time's eternal, the second member of the Trinity accepted the role of being our Redeemer. He accepted the role of being placed in a woman by the Holy Spirit. Now, in order to accomplish the virgin birth of Isaiah seven fourteen, there had to be a woman to carry a child. The Lord chose Mary. Why? See, well, because I mean, right? She was full of grace and goodness, and that's why we say, "Hail Mary, full of grace." No, actually, Luke one tells us Mary saw herself as a sinner who needed a savior. She wasn't sinless. First Corinthians one, he chooses unlike us. Now in this statement, we see one of the most mysterious truths in all of the Bible, a truth that seems impossible to put together. That Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. The math doesn't work for us, but it works for the Lord. Undiminished deity took on perfect, sinless humanity. Now, I so badly want to show you three things about this, and I will. (laughs) It's going to have to be next week. Now, as we close, though, let's ask this. Why is this such a big deal? Why is this a big deal? to talk about um, the humanity of Jesus. It had to be this way so we could receive salvation. Salvation couldn't come any other way. And it was at the fullness of time that this took place, this joining together for Jesus as fully God and fully sinless man. Why? Because as God, He could forgive sins. As God, He could live perfectly and earn our righteousness. As man, He could die. Why did He need to die? To be a substitute for our penalty. See, what's our penalty? Our penalty is... The punishment for our sins. He said, "What if I didn't? What if I haven't sinned a lot?" Oh, you've sinned more than what you realize. So have I. But you know, it only takes one. It only takes one. What's our punishment? Eternal death. Next Lord's Day, we're going to see how all that is related to Christmas and that it came right on time to make salvation possible. More than that, to make salvation actual. He accomplished our salvation and it was all a tight-knit plan, a successful, perfect plan. When the fullness of time... I want you to think about that. When the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son... Not only to this earth, but listen, for those who are believers, into your heart. The fullness of time. At just the right time. Regeneration, new birth. A work of God through the gospel in the sinner's heart right on time. His work making you see the value of of Christ coming and death right on time. And we're going to learn more about that next week. All right? Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you for giving us so much through your word. And we tried to honor it this morning, Lord. Uh, I realize, Father, we just, we, we opened the curtains and we, you let us see some things about you there in heaven, there in eternity. And I suppose... If we really were honest, we, we would be like Isaiah covering our mouths. We would be like John and Paul who said, These things are too wonderful. Or like Peter who was shown just a little bit of your glory and it fell down on his face and then wanted to just for you to stay there forever. And we thank you, Lord, that your promise to us is that you are with us forever. We pray this Christmas season that it will be a special one because we have understood the timing that you have in coming and bringing salvation and even coming to us personally to know you. We love you and pray for this understanding. In Jesus' name, amen.